Let's let us turn to the summons to the word. And we do this every, every Sunday before every sermon just to fix in our minds the gravity of what we are about to do. The psalmist in uh, Psalm chapter 1 talks about God's word and he puts all humans into two different categories. He says, there are ones who are blessed and there are those who are wicked. And the point of difference between these two groups of people, it's in what they delight. The one who is blessed delights in the word of the Lord and they will be like trees that are planted by, the tr by, by streams of water where the wicked are like chaff that are blown by the wind. And so in our summons to the word taken from Isaiah 66, it says, this is the one whom I look upon with favor, declares the Lord. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Our text this morning is taken from James chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. And it reads, Believers in, uh, in humble circumstances take pride in their, uh, in their position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres, in, uh, perseveres under trials, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot, tempt, cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it will give birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The word of the Lord. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Juan. Uh, let's see here. As we um, turn to con continue our journey in the book of James, I hope that... Um, I hope that this, uh, this book is, um, at the very least, provocative for you. I think James is sort of, he's sort of the guy in the New Testament who like, he's, or the guy that we all know who uh, says what we're all thinking, but we're afraid to say it. I mean, he just sort of lays it out there for us. And there's, a, there's an amazing just candor, um, a, a candor that is in some ways makes us uncomfortable. It's like, I can't believe he just said that. Right? At the same time, it's this candor that really is life-giving. We have ears to hear and respond. So this morning, I'm going to continue our journey using the verses that, that Juan just read for us. And I want to just do a little bit of review. James is saying in these opening verses that crisis, or what he calls trials, that crisis will complete us. The various trials, the various hardships that we experience in life are actually not mistakes. That the pain that we have in life is not pointless. 
In fact, he assumes, sort of underlying all that he's saying in this initial exhortation, is this incredible idea that God, in our pain, God is present. He's present, and as we'll talk about more in a second, he's not capricious, but that he's gracious. He's giving, he's present in our pain, and that he has a plan, and that plan is for our completion. That nagging sense of inadequacy that we all feel, he wants wants that to actually go away. He wants to equip us and complete us so that in future crisis we can have even greater confidence. And so again, the idea is simply this, that crisis completes us. From whether it's something very small and trivial, you know I mentioned last week, you know, missing an exit, or whether it's something, or it's, you know, an IT problem, laptop's not working, these small little crises, that even then God is there completing us, reminding us, growing us. But it's not just the trivial or the troubling. I mean, it's the various bigger, weightier issues in life, but even in the, in the, in the tragic that God is present, that he has a plan for us. And he's not capricious, he's actually gracious. And so James says here in these opening verses, he says that in crisis, true faith is first and foremost confident. We see that in verse 2. He calls us to a joy in the midst of trials. And again, this joy is a confidence. And that confidence stands over and against responding to crisis with a critical spirit or complaining, this immediate sort of, oh, I can't believe that's so stupid. This, this critical spirit, this complaining heart, and no, in opposition to that is a confidence. But this confidence is not, is not at all to suggest that we should just be happy-clappy. It's not so, isn't this just wonderful? We all hold hands and sing kumbaya. That's not at all what he's saying. You can have tears, you can cry, but still be confident. This past, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, Sarah took Julianne in for her flu shot. And it was sort of this land of the slaughter type thing where they're going along and suddenly you arrive at the doctor's office and Sarah turns to Julianne and says, um, we're here to get a flu shot. And Julianne's response was sort of this, this, this resolve, this confidence, and yet you can see this tear just come down her, her eye, of course. You know, who wants to get a shot, right? And so she's thinking, you know, this is, this is tough, but mom's here, this is what she wants, this is, this is going to be okay, you know, so there's a confidence in the midst of tears, in the midst of crying. And so what James is not at all preventing us from looking at the crises, the hardships, the pain in our life with lamentation, with hardship. In fact, last week in part of our liturgy, we actually spent some time in lament because that is what Christians do. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. In no way is the Christian religion an escape from or a refusal to acknowledge the difficulties, the hardships, the pain in life. It's rather uh, that, that true faith, real faith, begins when crisis comes. It doesn't wait and sort of decide if it wants to be confident. It begins with confidence. It begins with the presupposition that crisis, this crisis, is going to complete us. It's going to complete you and me. So true crisis, again, to review, true, true, excuse me, true faith is first and foremost confident Why? Because crisis is creating in us a constancy and a completeness. We see that in verses 3 and 4. And how will this crisis complete us? What is that completing work? Last week we said that crisis, suffering, struggle, 
It makes us into people who are sympathetic. Far more sympathetic. You show me someone who's unsympathetic, who's uncaring, who's uncompassionate, and I'll show you someone who hasn't suffered a lot, who hasn't been through trials. So it makes us sympathetic. It makes us servants. When we've been through hardship, we, wanna, we actually want to help others. We see others in pain. We want to help them. And finally, crisis completes us by making us sages. I think it's people who have wisdom, who see through the fakeness around us, who, who actually see ourselves more accurately. As we'll see here shortly, there's nothing like trials, there's nothing like suffering that actually reveals who we really are, <laughs> often in ways we really don't like. Right? Nothing reveals who I am more than crisis and struggle. And so again, the whole idea is that crisis completes us. And so true faith in the midst of crisis is first and foremost confident. That's verses 2 through 3 and 4. Verse 5, true faith calls for wisdom. When we don't have the ability to see how this is completing us, we don't know what, how to move forward in crisis, true faith calls for wisdom. Immediately, God, please give me. I need, in this crisis, I need wisdom now, please. And not just calling to God in prayer, but calling to others and you know, using the people God has placed at our disposal to get wisdom. What do you think he's doing in my life? How is he completing me? What is going on in the midst of this crisis? I can't see it. So again, true faith is confident. It calls for wisdom. And then in verses 6 and 9, James, or verses 6 through 8, James calls us to recommit ourselves. He says, God is not going to give you wisdom in your crisis if you are not on board. Because wisdom, as we said, is a weapon. It's a weapon that God gives to those who are on his side. Those to whom, uh, those who are truly committed to him. And, and we closed last time by saying that true faith is confident and it calls for wisdom and it recommits itself. But true faith in crisis is, is, is all of those things in community. You, I, can, I can promise you, you will never see how crisis is completing you on your own. You just won't. I mean, maybe you will in 10 years or 15 years, but it'll be too late. Actually, you'll learn right then and now. I think of marital challenges, and I, I cannot tell you how many persons I have met, especially persons who uh, went through a marriage, that marriage dissolved, and, and the, person, the person who divorced them had biblical grounds for divorce, and they refused it. And they, this is what they said to me. They said, I've heard this probably at least six or seven times. My spouse was telling me things that I needed to hear, and I refused to. And the sense of regret that I will never have that marriage back because I refused to listen. I refused to hear critique often critique poorly expressed, but nevertheless critique that had real substance, real content to it. And so it's in community, not just in marriage, not just in family, but in the family of God, in our small groups, in discipleship, in interaction, in counseling. It's there that we actually learn, that we gain the wisdom that helps us see how this Christ, how through this crisis, God is completing us. And this is what I want you to hear. Though we're actually going through this, this period of, in the church calendar, in the liturgical calendar, this era is called um, Epiphany. And Epiphany celebrates the, the, the wise men who came to Jesus, and, and it's in that event that, the, that, that church history has very rightly seen God revealing the Son to the world. 
not simply to his people, to the Jewish people, but here these, these, um, these, these magi come from a long distance, they're, they're, they're outsiders, and they behold. God manifests, reveals to these persons the Son of God. And what's so important to see is that these men are wisdom seekers. They seek wisdom. And it's so beautiful because James is a book all about wisdom, a wisdom that enables us, for example, to have confidence in crisis. And it is that confidence in crisis, oh, it's that confidence that is so enviable. When non-Christians, family, co-workers, classmates, see how you as a Christian how we as a community respond in crisis with confidence. That makes eyebrows raise, right? It's going to make, it's going to make heads turn. There's a sense of, wait a minute. You're responding to this crisis in a weird way. Again, it's not fake. It's not without tears but it's with confidence. How can you possibly think about the cancer diagnosis that way? How can you possibly think about job loss in that way? There is something here very enviable, and it's in this season of epiphany where I want to equip, or James wants to equip our church with a wisdom that the world can see so that it piques their curiosity. And they say, how can you be so confident in this crisis? And the answer, it's because my faith works. It actually works. My faith is active and it's effective. That's, what, that's exactly what James wants for us. He wants a faith, to have a faith that is that in the midst of crisis, doesn't just fall apart, but a faith that actually works. It actually, in this real world, in all the struggles, this faith is not an escapist thing. It's the very thing I need in order to look reality in the eye and stand in defiance. Recently, I met with a, a longtime friend of mine. I met, I met um, Mike um, probably 2005, I think, when I started going to Chesterfield Press. Mike is just such a great guy. And at the time, Mike was, was, was experiencing one of the most, the most major crises of his lives. His marriage was um, just in a very, very difficult, dark place. And uh, I walked with him through that, through his divorce, probably one of the ugliest divorces I've ever seen. And Mike came through it, supported by brothers and sisters in the Lord, supported in prayer, fleeing to the church, surrendering to the church's counsel, its advice. It's, I mean, it's just, it was a very traumatic experience. But to see him grow through that was just astonishing. And through that, and then in the years that followed, Mike and I stayed in touch. Just a phenomenal man. And recently, he and I met up again. And he has, Mike has the, um, he, has, he, has just, he has been working at the same job for a very long time. Uh, just, uh, just, uh, and he's very good at what he does. And he was in position recently to take the senior role of, 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 of the St. Louis office for his job. The senior role. And he had the experience, he had the wisdom, he had the understanding, he had the enthusiasm, he had the drive. He was all positive. He had the support of, 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 the, of, of the powers that be. And uh, he was slated for it and everything seemed all in place until... You know, at the corporate level, 
outside in a, in a context completely out of his control through politics, someone else got the job. And really, the sort of the, the, the climax, the focus, the, the aim of his career, the, the, you know, the, the sort of the aim to which he was striving his whole career, that was suddenly taken from him. In fact, he interviewed for the job, and he, and he, and he, and he didn't get it. And he didn't get it. And, and not only that, he learned after the fact that interview, it was all just, a, it was all just, it was all fake. The, the, the whole thing had been decided long before. Let's just make him think that he's got a chance. And to give yourself to a company, to give yourself, you know, faithfully, diligently, sacrificially to a company, only to, just to, be, to be sort of stabbed in the back like that, it was a major crisis. Major, and he and I were talking about it, and, and he, we, we talked about the idea of grieving, of really, you know, talk, how, how difficult, how hard it was. So again, it's not just some sort of a confidence that just refuses to admit the hardship but Mike, through this, it was so beautiful, began to see, you know, God is present in this. He's, he's there, and he believed that God was in it. And so Mike went about, we went together, and we formed a game plan. The first thing he would do is he would actually stand up for himself. He would, in fact, voice his grievances to the right people. He's not going to go just around everyone in the company, letting them know how, how, just, how he's, been, he's just been treated so poorly. He's going to go to the right people. He's going to express his grievances. And he's going to ask himself, can I do this? Can I stay in this role? Is this, is this good for me to still be here in this role? Because it's not. Maybe he's got to look for a job somewhere else. And he came to the place, he said, you know what? I've been here a long time. got a good job. I'm going to stay. If I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay it. I'm going to stay. I'm going to do this in the right way, in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And deciding that he could stay, he did several things. First, he publicly and privately vocalized his support for the new manager. He just want everyone to know, this new guy's come in, and I think it's great. I've got confidence in him. I'm going to support him. So it wasn't like he publicly said, I, I'm for him, and then privately was like, can you believe what they did to me? Can you, this guy's, he's not going to, he, I could do better. None of that. And the second, when the new manager arrived, he went out, this is so cool, he bought some poker chips. And he went into the new manager's office, and he set all the chips on the guy's desk. And he said, I want you to know, I'm all in. And he pushed the chips over Now that is loud. That is a loud faith. How did you handle being so poorly treated with such confidence, with such finesse? How did you do that? That's enviable. How did you handle it with such wisdom? And Mike's chosen to invest himself, actually. He was already doing some. Now he's really investing himself in mentoring troubled teenagers. It's awesome. That you should, he, the, the smile breaks out on his face as he talks about some of these teens and 20-somethings that he's investing in and just the, the, the struggles they're facing, the connections that he has with him, the conversation that he has with him, and he's just so alive. And he says, you know, I really don't miss, I, I, I think I'm really not going to miss the added stress of being number one at the company. He sees how God has completed him. So do you that, that makes sense? No. Now, as we look at verses 9 through 11, how does that relate to what precedes? We see that in crisis, we see this idea of confidence, of calling out for wisdom, of, of recommitting ourselves in faith. And what is, as, what is, what is, how does verses 9 through 11 relate 
to what proceeds? My answer is, you know, I'm really not sure. <laughs> I'm really not sure. You know, sometimes I can remember I, we were at a preaching lecture. Uh, this is back in Covenant Seminary, and, and the, 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 pre, the, the guy giving the lecture said this. He said, you know, some people preach like they just came from a press conference with God. And I have not just come from a press conference with God. I'm not quite sure. We're not really quite sure. But here's my edu- educated guess. It seems like in verses 9 through 11, James is giving a very relevant example of a trial. And that that very relevant example of a trial is this, money. How we think about money and status. See, whether we have it or not, we all want it. And even when we don't, I'm sorry, even when we don't like persons who are rich, we want to be rich, or at least we want friends who are rich. See, few things reveal our heart. Few things put us to the test like money does. And here in these verses, we see this contrast, this, this, uh, this example of a situation that I think, again, is very relevant to the audience, the original audience that James, uh, to whom James was writing. And he says this, he says, Believers, or more, more better, brothers and sisters in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich, notice, notice the contrast here. The, the lowly stand in opposition to the rich. That is to say, if you have wealth, you have status. And if you don't have wealth, well, you're really a nobody. Verse 10, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its, blossoms, it, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. What is James saying here? He's saying, look, in the, in the crisis, in the trial of wealth, this is so beautiful, in the trial of wealth, he is saying here that we are to be confident, we are to boast, we are to be proud in a good way, we are to be confident, not in our cash flow, but in our connections, our connection with our Heavenly Father. Notice what he calls them. Again, the NIV calls it believers. Really, it's brothers. He's saying the lowly brothers should take confidence that they are a brother, that they are part of the family of God. Where you should find your sense of worth, where you should find your sense of status, is not in how much money you do or don't have. Where you should find your sense of worth is, is being a member of the people of God. And that's true whether you're poor and, and a nobody or whether you're, you're rich. And he said, especially if you are a Christian who's rich, your job, in a sense, is to defy the world's temptation to find identity and, and, and status and importance and a sense of confidence in that wealth. And so he says that the rich person is to do what? That they are actually to boast or to take pride in not, nothing that the world would expect them to, but in, their, what, what, but in the world's eyes, their lowly position as a Christian. So, they, so James is first saying to the have-nots, look, take great confidence that you are in the family of God. That you have a heavenly Father. You've got a connection with the one who's the creator of the universe. Have confidence in that, boast in that, revel in that. Don't, don't give in to this temptation to say, you know what, what do I have? How many degrees do I have? How much money do I have? And so I guess that's an indication of my worth. I'm a nobody. See, so often people can feel just so forgotten. They look at their situation in life and the lack of money, the lack of looks, the lack of success, 
And they think, you know, I think God's forgotten me. He doesn't care about me. And they may not say it, but deep down they're wondering, you know, does, does God hate me? Why do I feel so worthless? Why do I feel like a nobody? And James is saying, no, don't, in that trial, don't, don't give in to the, the status criteria of the world. Don't give in to this temptation that just to see yourself as worthless. If you are a brother in the Lord, if you are a brother or sister, if you are a member of the family of God, you have God as your father and you should stand, you keep your chin up. You should say, I can't believe that I'm part of the family of God. And you think of it this way. Think of the song that we sang earlier. We used to the beautiful hymn, Ransomed, Healed, Restored, Forgiven. Who like me his praise should sing? When we look at all that God has given us as a member of his family, we say, why, why me? Why has he chosen me? Why has he given me his spirit to open my eyes, give me ears to hear that I am part of the body of Christ, that I am part, I will be an heir in a new heavens and earth. We think of this, all of you know the song of the, um, about the love of our Father, how deep the Father's love. Ask the question, why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. There's this wonderful, so James is calling us in the temptation and trial of money, the temptation and trial of worldly status to step back and say, you know, I refuse. I absolutely refuse to fall into the trap of, of seeing my self-worth in terms or using the criteria that the world has to offer. I will see it exclusively, exclusively through this ident my identity as a Christian, whether or not I have money or don't have money. And, he, and he, he, he's a little stronger, heavier with the person who has wealth because of that, because of that temptation. He's very strong. He said, look, you who are wealthy, look, you who are successful, look, those of you who are a big deal in the eyes of the world, do everything you can to resist finding worth. In fact, make it a point to say, you know what's important to me is not my job, it's not my money. It's not the, the success that I've had. What's important to me is that I'm a, I'm a daughter or a son of, of my Heavenly Father. And you make that evident in your life by how you use your time and money and, 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 and how you use the status that the world accords to you. See, in the body of Christ, the worthless should have worth. And you know, I just, this is, uh, most of you know, tomorrow is a Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. And I just think about how the church has struggled so often with minorities and especially with Afro-Americans to, 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 to communicate to them the worth that they, ha they have. I can remember one man, uh, this, is, this is, some of you may know the name James Baldwin. James Baldwin was a, an Afro-American uh, author uh, in, in, in the mid-20th uh, mid century. And he, his life starts out um, just, I mean, it's a very, very difficult life. And he, at one point, encounters the church, comes into the church, he has, experiences something like a profession of faith. And yet, as he goes into the church, just experiences the corruption of the church and ultimately is disillusioned and actually walks away and walks away and actually just at some point disowns his faith. But he, listen to what he writes here. Listen to the sense of not having a place, not only in the church, but in the world. He says, yes, it does indeed mean something, something unspeakable, to be born in a white country, an Anglo-Teutonic 
country black. You very soon, without knowing it, give up all hope of communion. And doesn't that break your heart? Very soon, he says, you give up all hope of communion, of actually knowing, of actually connecting, of actually knowing someone. Black people, again, he's writing in the 50s and 60s, black people mainly look down or look up, but do not look at each other. Not at you and at white people. And I'm sorry, and sorry, this is not at you. And he says, and white people mainly look away. And the universe is simply a sounding drum. There is no way, no way, whatever, so it seemed then and has, has sometimes seen since, to get through a life, to love your wife and your children or your friends or your mother and father or to be loved. The universe, which is not merely the stars and the moon and the planets, flowers, grass, and trees, but other people. The universe has evolved no terms for your existence, has made no room for you, and if love will not swing wide the gates, no other power will or can. And if one despairs and who has not of human love, God's love alone is left. And I felt this even then, so long ago, on that tremendous floor and willing that God is white. And if his love was so great and if he loved all his children, why were we, the blacks, cast down so far? Why? Do you see the sense of alienation, the sense of I don't belong and it's not just a black thing. It's not just a minority thing. Do you feel like you belong a good shepherd? Do other people feel like they belong here? Are we welcoming one another? Are we looking at the brother of low position, the brother or sister, and saying, you belong here. I celebrate you. I love you. If we are people of position, people of status, people of wealth, are we disowning it, disavowing that we, we quietly come in and say, you know what? You know, this is what I've got. I've, I'm, I'm a self-made man. You know, we're we taking ownership. Are we actually recognizing that all of that, says James, is ebbing away, it's flowing away, it will not stick? He says the rich man, even as he goes about his business, is fading away. And I won't take the time, but I can give you example of example of persons, of wealthy persons who I know, whose lives as I've watched them, they slowly ebb away, they slowly fade away. All their success, all their fame, it just slips through their hands like sand. So, so, so this, this, this example that James is giving here in verses 9 through 11 is this idea that, that watch out, wealth is a major source. Wealth and status are a major source of trial, and here's how to fight the trial. And verse 12 gives us the bottom line of the first, the first 11 verses. He basically says, look, in crisis, we are to continue, we continue, because we will receive a crown. We will receive a crown of life, a crown of blessing. There will be blessing for us in this crisis, if indeed we are committed. He writes in verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, in what follows here in verses 13 and through 15 is sort of, you might say, the dark, the dark side of trials. James is saying, look, there's another way of responding to temptation. It's not the way of confidence. It's not the way of confidence in God. It's the way of condemning God. Look at what he says here. 
when tempted, when in the midst of trials, no one should say, God is tempting me. This is God's fault. God's just up to no good here. See, James explains, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. James is saying, watch out in trials that we do not condemn God. Here, in some ways, the, the idea here, guys, is very simple. It's in trials that we see ourselves at our worst, right? Marriage brings out the worst in us. Conflict brings out the worst in us. Suffering and pain, it exposes the worst of me. And we discover it's in trials and suffering that we discover what we're capable of. I so appreciated Jim's words earlier when he said, you know, we can either say, we can sin and say, oh, that's not really who I am. And we can distance ourselves from it. Ah, it was just a bad day, bad hair day. Or we can take full ownership of it. Yeah, this, this struggle revealed who I really am. So we discover what we're capable of and we hate it. Because we, we, we have this view of ourselves. I have this view of myself as this good person who would never do that. Only to discover in the right time, all it takes is the right time, the right place, the right circumstances, and I, and I did it. And I'm like, who is that? How could that happen? And we become angry at God for allowing that trial to happen. And, and we get angry at ourselves for allowing it to happen. And we get, we get angry at God as if it were somehow his fault or that he was just trying to trip us up. Where were you, God? Why didn't you? You could have given me the strength to respond better. You could have given me the grace to obey, but you let me fail. How could you? And we don't recognize that behind this crisis and behind the failure of that crisis is a God who still is at work wanting us to discover something very painful. That behind all of our cordiality, behind all of our niceness, <laughs> behind all of our pleasantness and superficiality, behind our very well-manicured lives, is something within us much darker and, and, and even lethal. It's called sin. A sin that is subtle, that starts out, that gives birth, slowly grows like weeds in the backyard. And once fully grown, gives birth to death. If you hear one thing from James this morning, hear this. The sin inside you and me is massively subtle and deceptive. And it has one thing in mind, your death. Humans are inexplicably, unfathomably good at self-sabotage. That's what sin is. Okay, And James is wanting us to learn a lesson that this very important life lesson, that God loves us enough to help us in crisis see who we really are apart from his grace. He wants us to grow in that. And so that we come to a point of, of, of self-discovery, of self-recognition, 
Not that I don't have great dignity, not that I wasn't created with great worth, but the Christianity always holds these two things together, that, that we are made in God's image, that we have great worth, great nobility, great dignity, and, and despite all the nobility that we are capable of, all the dignity that we're capable of, we are also capable of immense depravity, of immense darkness, of immense foolishness, of immense sabotage of ourselves and destructiveness toward others. That's so realistic. Christianity is so sober about the, about the human condition. Not only are what other people are capable of, the, the injustice out there, but the injustice, the, the oppression that is, it is possible in here. And so James confronts us with the question, in crisis, will I indict God? Will I condemn God or will I condemn myself? Will I indict God or will I indict myself? So in verses 16 and 17, James calls, he sobers us up. He says, don't be deceived. Don't think that God's the problem. In verses 16 and 17, he actually says, let's be clear. God is a caring God. He cares and he cares constantly for us, even in crisis. Look at what he says here in, verse, in the verses here. In verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Don't think that somehow in the crisis, in the midst of the crisis, that God became a bad guy. Right? Does that make sense? It's like, well, God's good, God's good, crisis comes, God's now bad. No, 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 God does not change. He's still, he's still just as generous, just as kind. And this crisis, although painful and difficult and so costly, is a gift. It's a gift to discover that we are sinners and that he is a God of amazing grace. Listen, there's no greater gift that you can possibly receive from God than the gift of realizing that we are 10,000 talent sinners. When you know that you are a great sinner, not just confessing, not just, just saying the words, but when you know it, your attitude towards other people, your compassion towards them, just skyrockets. And it's not like you become apathetic about sin, no big deal, you don't become this tolerant person who's just tolerating everything all the time, it doesn't matter. No, sin is still grievous, but you can understand them. Yeah, I, I would, I've done the same thing. Or I could see myself doing the same thing. I'm no better than that person, no different from that person. You connect with them. And seeing, instead of seeing others as somehow lower and lesser, you see others as no different from you whatsoever. And you can move toward them. You can move toward your spouse. I've been forgiven 10,000 talents. How can I not forgive? How can I not forbear? And there's no greater gift than being put in crises where we fail and we struggle. I mean, it's so hard, but it's so good. And James is saying, don't you see that God, your loving Father, that in the midst of this crisis, as you have failed, as he is not giving you the grace to, to obey, that he's actually giving you a gift. It is a gift. It's a hard gift, but it's a very good gift. And he is a God who loves to give good gifts. All good gifts come from our Heavenly Father. So he says this, in crisis, not only is he caring, giving good gifts, not only is he constant in his caring, but look at verse 18. This is where he closes here. Not only is he caring for you, but he actually conceived you. You were his idea. 
It's not as though God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't, he's not capricious with you. You were actually God's idea. He brought you into this community of faith. He brought you here. Look at verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Brothers and sisters, you were God's idea. He chose to give us birth through the word of, word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. Listen to me. Brothers and sisters, your heavenly Father is in no way ashamed of you. There is, no, there is not an ounce of contempt in all his being for you. He did, he did not hesitate to shed the blood of his son for you. I will not do that for you. I will never give my son, Winston, for you. There's no way. Sorry, I like you. I care for you. God gave his only son for you without reservation because he loves you. He knows all your sin. He, like, he knows your sin way better than you do. Right? You have your kids, parents, you have your, your, your kids, and you, 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 your kids, like, they do something wrong, they offend you in some way, they disobey you, and you say, say you're sorry, and they say, sorry. Right? And it's sort of this half-baked confession. How often do you and I give half-baked confessions to our Heavenly Father? Yep, sorry. Right? And yet he, know, and he knows how much we've offended, and he knows all of it, and he welcomes you. He welcomes you. And yes, he's going to let you fail in life. He's really going to let you fail. And listen, here's the thing I want you to see. He says he, 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 he conceived you, he made you, give you birth so that you might be a kind of first fruits. See, this is so beautiful. God, your father sees what you will one day become. He sees that one day you will be complete, that you will be perfect, that you will be without flaw, and he can't wait. And he is, through these crises, forming you, shaping you, completing you. So brothers and sisters, take great confidence. Take confidence in crisis. And don't go at it alone. Let's do it together as the body of Christ. You have a Father who loves you. He conceived you. You were his idea. He thought of you before the beginning of time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what and a marvelous thing. Father, there are persons here, many of the crises I don't know of, you do. Father, and they're struggling to believe, they're, they're struggling not to condemn you, not to criticize you, not to raise their hands, their fists in anger at you. Father, I pray they would know your fatherly care. Father, I pray that they would be convinced, that they would, they would surrender, they would stand down, that they would move toward you and toward the, the people of God toward wise brothers and sisters who will listen, who will cry with them, who will sit in quiet with them just in peace, who will pray for them, and who will hope for them, and who will begin to, to walk with them down a certain path. Father, I pray that in this crisis that we would, you would give us a faith, a faith that is real, a faith that is actual, a faith that works. Father, you do care, and you care constantly for us. Not only do you care, but you gave your Son on the cross for us. Father, please, would you unite us, would you encourage us by the power of your Spirit 
Would you complete us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.